The grand hall of the Palace of Alexandria shimmered in the soft glow of flickering torches, casting a golden hue upon the hieroglyph-covered walls. In the room sat one of the most powerful men in the world, Julius Caesar, ruler of the Roman Republic. The doors open and two attendants walk in, carrying what appears to be a rolled-up carpet. Caesar, intrigued by this interruption, stands up. The attendants unroll the carpet and reveal now at Caesar's feet the 21-year-old exiled Queen of Egypt, Cleopatra VII. She gets to her feet and their eyes meet for the first time. This dramatic entrance was to change the course of their lives and the course of history. Hi, I'm Shane Lee and this is the Enduring Lives podcast, where we explore the lives and enduring legacies of the world's most extraordinary people. In this episode, we are exploring the life of Egypt's most famous queen, Cleopatra. If you want to find all the previous episodes of the podcast, or if you want to see the show notes with sources for this episode, head over to EnduringLives.com. And if you have five minutes to let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast wherever you're listening, please do. It would really help the show. Join me as we explore the enduring life of Cleopatra. Born in 69 BCE, Cleopatra Thea Philopater, or Cleopatra VII, was a member of the Ptolemaic dynasty, a family of Greek origin that ruled Egypt after the death of Alexander the Great. The Ptolemies, though they ruled Egypt, were of Macedonian Greek descent and maintained their Greek customs, even as they integrated into Egyptian society. What truly elevated Cleopatra's status in the annals of history were her romantic entanglements with two of the most prominent Roman leaders of her era, Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. These high-profile relationships not only exerted a profound influence on the political landscape of the Roman Republic, but also added to the enduring fascination of her persona. Her liaisons with these powerful men were as much about politics as they were about love. Cleopatra's image has endured across the centuries, making her a cultural icon. Her story has inspired countless works of art, literature, theatre productions and films. She is often associated with beauty, intelligence and seduction, qualities that have become synonymous with her name. Beyond her romantic exploits, Cleopatra was a shrewd and capable political leader. She adeptly navigated the complex and treacherous political currents of her time, maintaining her rule in Egypt and forming strategic alliances with influential Roman leaders. Her ability to hold power in a male-dominated world has only added to her reputation. Her life and reign also serve as a symbol of transition from the ancient world to the Roman era. Her death in 30 BCE 
marked the end of the Ptolemaic dynasty and the beginning of Egypt's incorporation into the Roman Republic and the beginnings of the Roman Empire. The circumstances of her death have added to her enduring mystique and have been the subject of historical debate. Cleopatra's story is one of political intrigue, romance and the intersection of Egyptian and Roman history. Join us as we explore the enduring life and legacy of Cleopatra, Queen of Egypt. A quick note on the historical accuracy of the podcast. When dealing with the life of someone who lived 2,000 years ago, it is difficult to separate the truth from fiction. To give an example of the sort of thing I'm talking about, in the case of Cleopatra, many sources cite that she was tutored by a sophist called Philostratus. However, this appears to be a confabulation originating from a source called the Life of the Sophists. It appears that all the people we know about called Philostratus, of which there are around three, none of them appear to have been contemporary with Cleopatra. We have tried our best to reconcile the available sources where possible, but depending on the source there may be variations of some of the events discussed. Educated by the best tutors available, Cleopatra was not just a figurehead, she was highly intelligent and well versed in various subjects from mathematics to philosophy. Unlike many of her Ptolemaic predecessors, she took the effort to learn the Egyptian language and presented herself as the reincarnation of the Egyptian goddess Isis, both of which endeared her to the local population. Cleopatra's father was Ptolemy XII, and he was a very unpopular ruler in Egypt because of his bribery of Rome, which was in order to have Rome recognise his kingship of Egypt and remain on good terms with the Romans. Unfortunately, this meant that Ptolemy raised taxes, which was deeply unpopular and led to his exile to Rome. He later returned after having paid a Roman general to invade Egypt. During this second reign, Ptolemy was only able to retain control of Egypt with support from the Romans. Support from the Romans was a theme common to Cleopatra's reign too. Ptolemy died during his second reign and passed the throne to his son and daughter, the 10-year-old Ptolemy XIII and the 18-year-old Cleopatra VII. Thus, in 51 BCE, Cleopatra, aged only 18, became co-regent of Egypt, which likely resulted in the brother-sister marriage of Cleopatra and Ptolemy, although some sources disagree about this point. This co-regency of such young rulers led to a complex power play. Cleopatra's ambition, and likely her status as female, put her at odds with the advisers and courtiers who surrounded her younger brother. Amongst these advisers was a man named Pothinus, who was the regent representing Ptolemy XIII while he was still too young to rule. A regent is a person who is appointed to rule in the place of a monarch who is incapable of doing so. For example, in the case of Ptolemy, because he was too young. Pothinus recognised in Cleopatra a threat, and therefore took action to turn the young Ptolemy against his older sister. In doing so, in 49 BCE, Cleopatra was exiled from Alexandria and ended up in Syria. 
Refusing to accept defeat, Cleopatra gathered an army in Syria in late 48 BCE with the intent of reclaiming her throne. It was around this time that she learned of Julius Caesar's presence in Alexandria. Seeing an opportunity, Cleopatra took a gamble that would change the course of history. She had herself smuggled into the palace in which he was staying, wrapped in a carpet or a sack of beddings according to some accounts. She was carried past the guards and checkpoints and then unfurled before an astonished Caesar. Her entrance was that of an act of theatre. It achieved its desired effect and got Caesar's attention and more importantly his interest. Intrigued by her audacity and intelligence, Caesar decided to support her cause. A short time thereafter, Caesar's Roman legions clashed with the Egyptian forces loyal to Ptolemy XIII in the siege of Alexandria, ultimately resulting in a Roman victory. And this, of course, was a victory for Cleopatra. During the course of the invasion, the young Ptolemy XIII met a tragic end, drowning in the Nile while attempting to flee. With her brother gone, Cleopatra married another younger brother, Ptolemy XIV, but it was clear that she was the one in control. The result was that Cleopatra successfully reclaimed her throne, and with Roman support at that, her alliance with Caesar not only restored her to power, but also tied Egypt closely with the Roman Republic. Cleopatra's reascension to the throne was far from smooth. It showcased her political savvy, daring, and indomitable will, traits that would define her tumultuous reign. After reclaiming her throne, Cleopatra knew that her grip on power remained tenuous. Egypt was a treasure trove of grain and riches, and the Roman Republic, ever hungry for expansion, eyed it covetously. Therefore, the alliance between Cleopatra and Caesar was both personal and political. They became lovers, and Cleopatra bore him a son named Caesarion, or Little Caesar. Though Caesar never officially acknowledged the boy as his heir, Roman law did not permit a foreign-born child to be an heir to the Roman throne. His relationship with Cleopatra remained strong. That same year, Cleopatra visited Rome, an event that was as significant politically as it was socially. With Caesar's military might behind her, Cleopatra was more powerful than ever. However, their alliance was not without its costs. In Rome, the Senate viewed Caesar's relationship with the Egyptian queen with increasing alarm and suspicion. To them, Cleopatra was a foreign temptress who had undue influence over Rome's greatest general, and many worried that Caesar intended to make himself a king with Cleopatra at his side. She arrived in Rome not as a submissive client queen, but as an almost equal partner to Caesar, something that unnerved the Roman elite. Cleopatra was granted residence in Caesar's villa, and her presence was a subject of gossip and concern for the conservative Roman Senate. 
She was a living testament to Caesar's unconventional ways, and many interpreted her presence as a threat to Roman traditions and an indication of Caesar's monarchical ambitions. Yet Caesar remained steadfast. It's said that he even erected a golden statue of her in the temple of Venus Genetrix, a bold statement of her significance to him. While in Rome, Cleopatra was busily engaged in political and intellectual discussions, learning about governance from Caesar, who was by now Rome's unrivaled ruler, having been declared dictator perpetuo, dictator in perpetuity. She was in Rome when the Ides of the March approached in 44 BCE, the day that Caesar was assassinated. Caesar's assassination on March the 15th, 44 BCE, was a devastating blow to Cleopatra. Not only did she lose a lover and a political ally, but her very presence in Rome became a liability almost overnight. With Caesar gone, she had no protection against his political enemies, and the city was no longer safe for her or her son. She returned to Egypt shortly after Caesar's death, faced now with the monumental task of protecting her kingdom in an increasingly volatile political landscape. The assassination of Caesar marked a turning point in Cleopatra's life and reign. Their alliance had been a mutually beneficial one. Caesar gained valuable resources and military support from Egypt, while Cleopatra had the backing of Rome's most powerful figure. But in a twist of fate, their alliance ended abruptly, forcing Cleopatra to rethink her strategies and alliances, setting the stage for the next tumultuous chapter of her life. With the death of Caesar, Cleopatra was vulnerable. Meanwhile, Rome was gripped by a new power struggle, with Mark Antony emerging as one of the central figures. Antony was a military general and a trusted friend of Caesar. As co-counsel and a member of the Second Triumvirate, along with Octavian, later to become Emperor Augustus and Lepidus, he held significant influence. He was in search of allies and resources to consolidate his position and carry on a military campaign against the Parthians. Cleopatra, equally keen on securing her throne and the future of Egypt, saw an opportunity for a new alliance. In 41 BCE, Antony summoned Cleopatra to Tarsus, in modern-day Turkey, to answer questions about her loyalty to Rome. But Cleopatra was not one to be summoned like a subject. She arrived in Tarsus in regal fashion, sailing up the river Sidnus on a golden barge adorned with purple sails, while musicians played flutes and lyres. This dramatic entrance captivated Antony, much like her earlier encounter with Caesar had. They found in each other not just political allies, but also soulmates of sorts. Cleopatra offered Antony the financial and military support he needed, and in return, Antony could offer her military protection and political recognition. This alliance led Antony to spend the winter in Alexandria, much to the chagrin of his Roman allies. Their alliance bore children, 
Alexander Helios, Cleopatra Selene, and Ptolemy Philadelphus, and a joint vision for a Greco-Roman empire with Egypt at its heart. Antony even declared Caesarion, Cleopatra's son with Julius Caesar, as king of kings, a move that was seen as an affront to Rome and Octavian, who was Caesar's adopted son and heir. This alliance was not without its costs. In Rome, propaganda against Cleopatra and Antony was widespread. They were accused of forming a treasonous alliance aiming to move the Roman capital to Alexandria. Antony's rejection of his Roman wife Octavia in favour of Cleopatra only fanned the fames of scandal. Their alliance reached its fateful climax in the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE. It was a naval engagement against Octavian's fleet, led by General Agrippa off the coast of Greece. On the morning of September 2nd, 31 BCE, battle horns reverberated through the air as the two fleets prepared to engage. Cleopatra was on her flagship, a grand vessel laden with gold and treasure. Her role was crucial. She was to command the reserve fleet and provide an escape route for Antony should the battle turn against them. As ships clashed and arrows filled the sky, it became increasingly apparent that Antony and Cleopatra's fleet was losing its footing. Agrippa's tactics were superior, and Octavian's forces managed to cut through Antony's lines. The atmosphere grew thick with desperation. Then a signal was given. Cleopatra's ship, sails unfurled, made for the open sea. Antony, seeing this, made a fateful decision. He broke away from the combat to follow her, leaving his fleet leaderless and demoralised. Whether it was a prearranged signal for retreat or a spur-of-the-moment decision remains a subject of debate among historians, but the outcome was clear. The flight of their commanders shattered the morale of the remaining forces, and Octavian won a decisive victory. Their reliance ended as dramatically as it had begun, with both committing suicide in 30 BCE after Octavian invaded Egypt. Antony fell on his sword, believing Cleopatra was already dead. Cleopatra, shortly after Antony's death, took her own life, allegedly by the bite of an asp or by poison. Cleopatra's reign was characterised by her political alliances, without which it is doubtful she would have ever ruled beyond her exile, and her status in our collective memory will be that of countless other rulers whose scarcely remembered legacies are relegated to some dusty corner of a museum's archive. Her ability to navigate and negotiate alliances was one of the cornerstones to her enduring legacy. Cleopatra was exiled in 49 BCE, yet in 48 BCE, a year later, she managed to secure an alliance with one of the most powerful men in the world at the time, Julius Caesar. It is a testament to Cleopatra's ingenuity and shrewdness that she managed to achieve this seemingly impossible feat. 
it is unlikely that many other exiled regents would have been able to do the same given the same circumstances. As we have heard, the theatricality of Cleopatra's introduction to Caesar as she unrolled from the bundle she was concealed in is a stuff of legend and it played a significant role in her winning Caesar over to her cause. To win the allegiance of Mark Antony, Cleopatra again preferred a theatrical approach. According to the ancient historian Plutarch, Mark Antony summoned Cleopatra to him in order to answer charges which alleged she gave Cassius money to fund a war. Cassius was one of the main conspirators against Caesar and was opposed to Mark Antony. The charges brought against Cleopatra would have made her an enemy of Mark Antony. The cards were stacked against Cleopatra for this first meeting with Antony and it's testament to her political and diplomatic abilities that she won him round. As we know, Cleopatra arrived to the meeting with Mark Antony on a boat with a gilded deck, enormous purple sails, and silver oars. Plutarch says that Cleopatra was on board, reclining beneath a golden canopy, like the goddess Venus. Music was playing on her ship, and incense was burning. All of this had quite the effect on the local inhabitants. Mark Antony invited Cleopatra for a meal, but Cleopatra denied his invitation, and insisted instead that Antony join her on board for a meal. When Antony arrived on board, he found an indescribable feast, and was soon charmed by Cleopatra. We know that it wasn't just acts of theatricality which Cleopatra used to secure and maintain alliances. Sometime in or around 33 BCE, Cleopatra granted tax-exempt status to Publius Candus Crassius, who was one of Mark Antony's generals. It was important to have him on her side, following Octavian's disparaging of Mark Antony and Cleopatra in speeches. He said that Mark Antony was the Egyptian woman's slave. Octavian was the political rival of Mark Antony. It was likely that Octavian would invade Egypt, as he then did in 31 BCE. Having Mark Antony's generals on her side was an important political strategy for Cleopatra. Cleopatra's linguistic skills were one of the factors that enabled her effective diplomacy. She could speak a number of languages, including Greek, Egyptian and Aramaic. This mastery of languages helped her form diplomatic relationships and charm anyone she met. Cleopatra's ability to speak Egyptian was highly unusual for a Ptolemaic pharaoh. The Ptolemies were of Greek descent, so their native language was Greek. Learning Egyptian and embracing Egyptian customs likely improved her popularity with the Egyptian people. Because of this, it is almost certain that she was more popular than her father Ptolemy XII, who was deeply unpopular. Cleopatra's death is one of the reasons for her fame. The legend goes she died of suicide from an asp bite, following the suicide of her lover, Mark Antony. Her death was immortalised in a play by Shakespeare, which has also contributed to Cleopatra's fame. The precise details of Cleopatra's death remain shrouded in mystery due to conflicting accounts primarily found in the writings of historians like Pluto, Cassius Dio and Appian. 
whose narratives don't perfectly align. Some make the claim that she died from the famous asp bite, some make the claim she died from poison with a needle or hairpin, and some claim it was murder. Despite these discrepancies, the general consensus of Cleopatra's downfall starts with the loss at the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE. Following Octavian's victory, Cleopatra fled back to Egypt, where she promptly killed dissidents who wanted her to lose. Of these, she took their estates and money. She used some of the money to send her son, Caesarion, to India, as his life was now in danger. It was the next year, 30 BCE, when Octavian restarted his campaign for Egypt. Cleopatra had a mausoleum constructed, into which she moved many of her royal treasures and wealth, along with lots of wood and flammable tow. Octavian heard of this and feared that Cleopatra might destroy her wealth. When he surrounded the city of Alexandria where Cleopatra was, he sent her messages to give her hope and prevent her burning her wealth. With Octavian's forces closing in on the Hippodrome in the city, Antony succeeded in pushing his forces back to the city boundary. Then, later that day, Antony took his bravest soldier to Cleopatra, who presented him with a golden breastplate. According to Plutarch, the soldier then promptly abandoned Antony for Octavian. The next day, Antony prepared for battle with a meal, telling his slaves and friends that this might be the last meal they share together, for he might die tomorrow. When tomorrow came, Cleopatra was hidden in her mausoleum, with two of her closest aides, and Antony stood upon a hill to survey Octavian's attacking forces. It was at this point that Antony's cavalry abandoned him. Antony returned to the city despondent. It was then he received word that Cleopatra was dead. Upon hearing the news, Antony is reported to have said, Why do you still put it off, Antony? Chance has removed the one remaining reason to live. He then ordered his slave, Eros, to kill him with a sword but Eros was unable to do it. So Antony stabbed himself in the stomach. But this did not kill him. Antony ordered his other slaves to finish him off, but like Eros, they couldn't. It was then that Diomedes, who was Cleopatra's secretary, turned up and Antony realised that Cleopatra was still alive. He was then taken to her, in her mausoleum, where he died in Cleopatra's arms. Octavian quickly learned of Antony's death and sent one of his men called Procleus to capture Cleopatra alive. When Procleus showed up at the mausoleum, Cleopatra pulled out a knife she was hiding and tried to kill herself because she would rather die than be captured. But Procleus managed to disarm her. Cleopatra was captured and kept in the mausoleum. Octavian wished her to be comfortable and happy, even if she was not free. 
Octavian granted Cleopatra the right to bury Antony and give him her royal funeral. Shortly after, so the story goes, Cleopatra arranged to have figs delivered to her in a basket. Concealed under the figs was an asp. She allowed the asp to bite her, and with that bite died the last pharaoh of one of the greatest civilizations in human history. A legacy spanning over 3,000 years, characterised by immense projects such as the pyramids of Egypt, of contributions to mathematics, of the development of the 365-day-a-year calendar, of advanced agriculture, of advances in medicine, all came to a close with the death of Cleopatra the Great. In the aftermath of Cleopatra's death, Egypt was subsumed into the Roman Republic under Octavian, who would later become Augustus as the founder and first emperor of the Roman Empire. One of Octavian's first goals after the death of Cleopatra was to hunt down her son, Caesarion, and have him killed. A Caesarion was a potential threat and rival to Octavian. When Cleopatra died in 30 BCE, she was only 39 years old, but she had reigned for over 20 years. Her enduring legacy lived on in the annals of history and continues to shape popular culture, literature and art. Cleopatra's story has left an indelible mark, inspiring countless books and films. Perhaps most famously in Shakespeare's play, Antony and Cleopatra. As a result, she lives on in the imaginations of people worldwide, her life serving as a muse for writers, filmmakers and artists. Cleopatra leaves behind several lessons that we can still learn from today. Perhaps most importantly, Cleopatra's life shows the importance of alliances and partnerships. If it wasn't for her alliance with Julius Caesar, Cleopatra would have likely remained exiled and we would not remember her today. Her life also demonstrates the importance of first impressions, even if it means breaking the rules. It would have been nearly impossible for an exiled Cleopatra to gain Caesar's support if it wasn't for Cleopatra's breaking the rules by having herself snuck into a palace and making a theatrical entrance. Similarly, with Mark Antony, she made an outstanding first impression with her ship with purple sails, and she broke with convention to deny Antony's invitation for dinner, and instead invited him on board her ship. Another lesson that we can learn from Cleopatra is the importance of communication and language. Cleopatra was known to instantly charm everyone she met. One of the reasons for that was her mastery of languages, and her ability to converse in the native language of the person she was speaking to. Nelson Mandela understood this well when he said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Enduring Lives podcast, where we explore the life and enduring legacy of Cleopatra. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review. 
You can find more Enduring Lives podcasts at EnduringLives.com. And there you can also post questions or comments about the show. See you next time.